the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek, and I'm sitting far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And it is only about a week or so until we are reunited, and The First Degree will be one again. Hell to the yes. Getting closer every day. Billy, what day is it today? It's National Bring Your Teddy Bear to Work and School Day. That is a creepy holiday. Most creepy. Have you, do you not have a teddy bear? Did you ever have a teddy bear that you brought to school or work? I actually have a teddy bear that is sitting in my room right now named Smiley. And he was my mom's... Uh, my uncle got him from my mom when she was giving birth to me. And he was her little focal thing when she was giving birth. And right. he was my teddy bear my entire life. But I would not bring him to work because that is weird. Super weird. I wouldn't recommend for adults. <laughs> Any adult under Billy, any circumstance. I feel like Billy might have lots of teddy bears. I have a couple teddy bears. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a very, you know, I'm a person that likes to cuddle. I do like a teddy bear. I do like a stuffed animal or a, or a plush as they call them. Are these in, like in the business? Are these active bears that you cuddle with actively? Like I don't ever um, touch my teddy bear. He sits in active. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm unaware of like, like do you, you by active. Do you have them in the bed cuddling with you? Like as a, no, I, no, I, no, I actually don't know. Oh. Are they like elves on the shelf and you just keep them? On, all all in a row. <laughs> yeah. Like Humpty Dumpties on shelves. Yes. Um, yeah, but Elf on a Shelf would be that, that it would move around all the time. And that's the whole thing with Elf on the Shelf. Is it bear in your hair? It's, it's bear in my hair. Yeah. Bear in hair. That's it. There you go. Oh, yeah. Alexis, that's our, do you, that's our new product. Do you do you have hair. a stuffed animal, Alexis? Your Huffalump or whatever the hell it is? Huffalump. Yeah. Do you still have it? Oh, oh my God, of course. Okay. Would you bring I mean, it to work? I suggest otherwise. <laughs> he might hear you. <laughs> <laughs> don't be talking bad about him. He's listening. He's listening. <laughs> he's 3,000 miles away, but he's listening. <laughs> well, you know what? It is Halloween. Spooky things are happening all over the place, but that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. There's a test people like to use when describing the strength of friendship. You can have besties, you can have ride or dies, but the ultimate test seems to be the declaration. I would help them bury a body. (laughs) 
So today's case takes us back to January 27th of 2006. The top songs on the radio were Check On It by Beyonce featuring Slim Thug and Dirty Little Secret by the All American Rejects for all my other retired emo kids. Movies in the theaters were Blood Diamond and Big Mama's House too. And the setting for today's case is Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock is the 11th largest city in Texas, and it also happens to be the birthplace of rock and roll legend Buddy Holly, as well as country legend Waylon Jennings. And it's home to Texas Tech University, founded in 1923. So it's a college town, and it has about 250,000 people. Dallas is the closest, bigger city to Lubbock, about an hour drive away. And a man who is going to tell us about Lubbock, Texas firsthand is Bryce, who is the first degree for today's case. I grew up in Lubbock. It's more like a smaller suburb. It's not as big as Dallas, but the people there are really like close knit. Um, There's a lot of churches, definitely the Bible Belt to do there. Go out, party, have fun. Texas Tech is here, so you got a lot of parties like that. Bryce was born and bred in Lubbock, and so were his boys. And one of his friends, who he considered a brother, was Tyler Logan. Elementary was the first time that I met Tyler. He was a year younger than me, and it was just uh, playing, you know, sports in the neighborhood. He was actually pretty good. I was good. And then we proceeded to go to junior high together and just always been in the neighborhood and playing ball. I think junior high was whenever I, you know, really started you know, clicking to Tyler and calling him my little brother. Just a cool guy, funny to be around. He wasn't a punk, you know. He was going to stand up to anything, and so was I. So it was a group of us that kind of ran together like that. He was always taller than everybody, a few inches taller, uh, broad shoulders, clothes was always nice, always had the newest kicks. You know, anything that was in style, Tyler had it. Bryce and Tyler remained friends through grade school, middle school, and finally high school. And athletics remained their focus. I was really good at sports and around Lubbock, you you know, whenever you're really good at sports, you get a lot of respect. As Bryce and Tyler moved through high school, they stayed committed to sports. Excelling at sports was key in Lubbock. You know, picture the show Friday Night Lights. And in fact, Odessa, Texas, the town that the show Friday Night Lights was based on, was only 15 minutes away from Lubbock. And Bryce's high school team would face off against the Permian High School Panthers. We actually played that team. So it's exactly like you see on that movie. It was awesome. In our our age group, we were really good at football. So I think it was 13 of us that got uh, national letters of intent to go play college ball. And so we won all of our lives. We we had, you know, everybody that was cool with us. We never lost. We won every Super Bowl, every junior high thing, every city championship. And uh, we were picked to win a state championship out here in Texas. But uh, we kind of fell short to a really, really good team. Bryce, Tyler, and their friends were the popular ones, the guys who everyone wanted to be and who could get any girl that they wanted. But that didn't stop them from wanting to test their boundaries, which is not uncommon for teenage boys. But there's no doubt that the things that Bryce, Tyler, and their friends were dabbling in were pretty dangerous. According to Bryce, they were doing things like, quote, making drug deals go bad. They were setting up drug dealers by using their girlfriends to gain access to their homes, money, and drugs. 
it was more of a breaking and entering type of deal. I mean, there was times that we were selling fifty, sixty thousand dollars at a time from guys. And so that's at 19, 20, 21 years old. And that's, you know, over and over and over. Every time that we got down to where we were almost broke, we would turn around and do it again. We never went in for TVs or anything like that. It was just uh illegal uh stuff. And so we used that as to our advantage because we knew them guys would never call the police because hell, what are we here for? They didn't take anything that we could see other than the drugs that we smell. It was a, you know, an adrenaline rush for all of us. And we were the predators and we were, you know, prey on the prey on the week. And so most of the time we would send a, a girl, a girlfriend in the house or whatever first. And, you know, that's how we were come in there. But there was also times that there were, other people that was there as well no one ever got hurt or anything like that or um you know drugs and and, and money was you know what we were going in for tyler was more of an extremist even than myself which i i consider to be one that's going to go all the way or not at all and tyler was one that was going to go all the way and prove his point to be the baddest and the toughest Tyler had a really good heart, but he never had a, a solid foundation or a solid role model uh, in his life. So it was more of Tyler masking something. So he would go to the deepest edge to prove that he was the toughest guy, when in fact, if you call his bluff, he'd probably fold quicker than any of them. In hindsight, Bryce realizes that in those days, when they were robbing drug dealers, they were playing with fire. But despite the risk he was taking, nothing bad happened. And Bryce was able to get out of Lubbock and went to college. He was going onward and upward. I left to go play football at Oklahoma State my 2004-2005 year. And then I went to Eastern New Mexico University. By January of 2006, Bryce was 20 years old. And he was enrolled at Eastern New Mexico State. He was building his own life at college while Tyler remained in Lubbock. Because remember, Tyler was a year or so behind Bryce in school. On January 27th, Bryce was sitting in his living room at school when he got a call from a high school friend. It was midday and a friend of mine had called me and he said, they say Tyler killed his mom and his grandma. And of course, he said, they say because... You know, there were certain things that our group of guys were running around in the streets and doing. So whenever he called me and said that his mom and grandma was dead, it was kind of, you know, surreal to me because I knew what the possibilities of of it was that somebody could have came into the home and killed his mom and grandma because I was too involved in the same actions that everybody else was doing. All right. So let's wait a minute. There's a lot going on here. So first of all, Bryce is getting this incredibly jarring news that his best friend's mother and grandmother had been murdered. So this is horrific on its own. But the first thing his friend says is, they say Tyler did it. Meaning that the police were zeroing in on Tyler as the killer of his mother and grandmother. But in Bryce's head, the only explanation for how or why this happened would be revenge or pushback. Tyler finally crossed the wrong drug dealer because Tyler's mother, 52-year-old Vicki Logan, and his grandmother, 73-year-old Wanda Faye Turner, had been found dead 
after Vicky's coworker Brian Scott had gone to her home to check on Vicky after she failed to show up to work. When Brian arrived at the home, he walked up and he saw Vicky's car outside in the driveway. He also saw Tyler's truck. And Tyler answered the door when Brian knocked. And he said that he hadn't been aware that his mom hadn't made it to work. It's at this point that Tyler and Brian Scott began to search the home for Vicky. And when they couldn't find her, he walked over to his grandmother Wanda's house, which was nearby. And together, they discovered the bodies of both Vicky and Wanda in the garage of the home. According to KCBD News, Brian had known Vicky and her family for years. They had breakfast and lunch together almost every day at their desks, and they worked only 10 feet apart from each other. So he was devastated at making this discovery. The autopsy of Wanda's body and the autopsy of Vicky's body revealed that they were both strangled. The cause of Wanda's death was asphyxia from strangulation, and the cause of Vicky's was asphyxia from strangulation and blunt force trauma. So they called the police immediately, and when they arrive, Tyler is in tears. The police then seal off the crime scene. And in the bathroom of the home, in lipstick, on the mirror, it said, quote, sorry, we missed you. And at a glance, the police believed that the killer had used their bare hands as well as a rope to strangle the women until they were dead. So the police spoke with Tyler briefly, and they let him go and told him that they'd be in touch with him. And remember, while this is all happening, Bryce is learning of all this on the phone from a friend. So his mind immediately went to how he could help his friend Tyler. I had just escaped it by moving out of the town and going to college at Eastern New Mexico. I said, well, where's Tyler right now? And so he was in police custody at the time. So, of course, I hung up with the friend and I packed a bag and I jumped on the highway. So Bryce is rushing back to Lubbock from college to be there for Tyler. But he's racing home with even more than just his friend in mind. Remember, Bryce had committed the same types of crimes that Tyler had of robbing those drug dealers, the drug deals gone bad. So was it possible that whomever killed his mom and grandma could be after Bryce's family too? He had a million questions running through his head as he raced back to Lubbock. Who are they coming for? It was a couple of us, but you know, I had no leads on anything. I mean, like I said, every time that we ever even did anything, I mean, we were scotch clean. So Bryce is driving back to Lubbock to be there for his friend when his cell phone rings. I think it was maybe 30 to 45 minutes into the drive home, Tyler called me. And at that particular time, you know, I'm like, dude, what's going on? He said, my mom and my grandma are dead and um, I can't get into the house. They confiscated my truck. I have no wallet. I have no money. I have nothing. At this time, you know, Tyler was still 19, a senior in high school. I mean, there was nowhere for him to go. I was already on the way into town trying to see what was going on with him, but he had nowhere to go at the time. Nobody would answer. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. At the time Tyler called Bryce, Tyler had just given a statement to the police before being released. And his house was a crime scene so he couldn't go home. And he had no money or car keys either. Here's what Tyler expressed on that call. He was upset with the fact that they had questioned him and that they had took his truck, his money. He had no form of communication. That's more of what he was upset about. He didn't seem upset about the deaths at all. 
After his call with Tyler, Bryce called his friend Jessica, who was one of his best friends, as well as Tyler's on-again, off-again girlfriend. And so that's whenever I called Jessica. And I knew that I could convince Jessica to go pick him up and let him stay at her house until I could get to him. And about an hour and a half later, Bryce pulled up to Jessica's house. I get to Jessica's. I walk into uh, her living room and Tyler's sitting on the couch, legs spread apart as he's uh, reaching down in between his legs, thumbing through a phone book. And I'm like, you know, what are you doing? What's up? What are we doing? He looked up at me with kind of like a blank stare. And that's whenever Jessica came out of the back room into the living room and said, bro, uh, his grandmother and his mother is dead. He needs a lawyer. And I'm like, whatever, get the phone book and, you know, get in my truck and let's go. So we left. Well, we stopped at a uh, gas station. I grabbed the newspaper. It had his, his face on the front page. And so as I'm getting back into my pickup, I looked at the newspaper and I asked him, did you do this? Bryce is perplexed by his friend's behavior for good reason. Tyler seems detached from the fact that his mother and grandmother had been strangled to death. He's more concerned with himself and getting himself a lawyer. I told him, Tyler, if you did this, you need to tell me that you did this. And he was like, no, I did not do it. My mom and my grandma are dead. And now I got to worry about staying out of jail is what he told me. So Bryce is in the car with Tyler and he's looking at his friend and dealing with the push and pull of doubt. His best friend's face is on the front page of the newspaper. And the article is essentially pointing the finger at Tyler as the likely killer of Vicky and Wanda. So Bryce instinctively starts examining his friend's body, searching for signs of defensive wounds. I started, you know, looking down at his hands, his fingernails and stuff like that. And it was all normal to me. I I remember like it was yesterday. Uh, He didn't have no scratches on it, um, nothing under his fingernails or anything like that. Moments later, Bryce's phone rings. One call after the next from Bryce and Tyler's friends explaining that the cops had just been to their houses searching for Tyler. And by now, the cops had issued an arrest warrant to take Tyler into custody. We went from the gas station to a parking lot and we just started talking. We sat there and I knew that nobody could see us and nobody would be able to find us. He read the newspaper and he was like, this is fucking bullshit. He just kept saying, uh, they killed my mom and my grandma. Now I got to worry about staying out of jail. That's what I was thinking. That's where my head was going with it, is that Tyler just messed with the wrong people. And hopefully I had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Hopefully I had nothing to do with it and that my parents or, uh, you know, anybody around me won't have to suffer any of the consequences that I had, had done. Tyler insisted over and over to Bryce that he would never, that he could never do something like this. And at this point, Bryce is still clinging to the belief that Tyler could not be the one to have done this. They remained sitting in this parking lot. My phone starts blowing up crazy. And so one of my friends call and I answer the phone and he tells me, is Tyler with you? Of course, I say no. He said, well, the cops just left my uh, parents' house. They're looking for Tyler. And I'm like, I don't know where he is. So at that point in time, our blood gets to racing and it's like, you know, racing against the, the clock. I had a particular truck that was, uh, it was a limited edition. So in the town that I lived in, it can be spotted from a mile away. I knew that, Tyler knew that. And so I looked at him and I told him, we don't have much time. I got this truck and I had a bunch of cash on me at the time. 
And I told him, if you did this, you'll never see the light of day again. It's Texas and they're gonna hang you. And anyone from Texas or anyone with an intimate knowledge of true crime is likely going to be aware of the fact that the Lone Star State is not known for its leniency when it comes to murderers. So Bryce continues to press Tyler for the truth, even though whether Bryce realized it or not, he already knew it. And he just kept saying, I can't believe that they are looking for me. He was like dumbfounded that the cops were even coming to talk to him again. And at this particular time, they had already questioned him. Whatever evidence that they had found after that was what sealed the deal at that point in time. And so that's what the um, arrest warrant was issued for. And, you know, lo and behold, I knew none of it until later on. He was definitely the only suspect and the main suspect and they wanted him off the streets as soon as possible. Bryce's phone kept ringing, and the situation was escalating and intensifying. I finally received a phone call from a different friend. They just left my parents' house. They're looking for Tyler. So I know that they're going to everybody that was associated in our group of guys that we had ran with, the posse that was doing what we were doing. So now they get to Jessica's house. I turned my phone off. I made him turn his phone off. I knew it was just a a race against the clock at that point in time. Finally, as Tyler sat next to Bryce in his pickup truck, Tyler started talking. He said that he thought he knew why someone killed his mom, Vicky, and his grandma, Wanda. He had robbed a drug dealer, and in the process, he had beaten up the guy's wife and held a gun to the head of the drug dealer's son. And Tyler said that the situation, quote unquote, got ugly. And Tyler thought that it was this drug dealer who had gone after Tyler's family out of revenge. started to truck back up and I asked Tyler I was like dude this is the last chance that you get I got this truck and I got this bag of cash right here you can proceed to go get a lawyer with it you can proceed to run with it whatever you want to do man besides spending the rest of your life in jail I would recommend that you do it finally Tyler agreed to let Bryce bring him down to the sheriff's department to get everything sorted out We get to the sheriff's office and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was crazy because going downtown next to the police station, pulling up at the police station with 150 cops everywhere, no one seemed to see my truck and no one seemed to see us. Maybe God just, you know, watched over me or whatever was going on. So I backed in there and we sat for a good 20 minutes. All the while, As Bryce sat in the car, he wrestled with the idea of whether or not Tyler could have done this. Tyler was like Bryce's little brother. Bryce was starting to think that he was being naive about believing his friend was not involved. I remember looking down at his fingernails. Tyler always kept real manicured nails. I didn't see any scratch marks. I didn't see any fight type of anything that indicated that it was a struggle. If he did do it, he had to use gloves or something like that. I was just there being a friend because yesterday I was his friend. No matter what, like you just don't turn your back on your boys. And that's kind of where I was at, at the particular time. 
guilty, innocent. I didn't think either. I didn't think either. I told him that whenever he gets done, I would be waiting on him and he could go back to New Mexico with me and sleep on my couch. I told him that I would wait till the evening after I ate Sunday dinner with my parents. And so, you know, we both cried. He hugged me, I hugged him, and we just showed emotion for the situation. And if the situation wasn't stressful enough on its own, remember everyone in Bryce and Tyler's group of friends were freaking out with the fear that the same people who sought revenge on Tyler were also coming for their families too. I had to go back to school the next day. It was already too much going on in the hometown. I was already too involved. Everybody was turning against everybody. It, every, everyone had an opinion against each other. And I just knew it was a matter of time before what we were doing was gonna come out. He told me, uh, man, please don't leave me. Uh, I don't have anybody else, Bryce. I told him, man, call me whenever they get finished with you. You know, I didn't think it would be very long before we got it ironed out, before we figured out who really did it. Tyler walked into the sheriff's department and Bryce drove away. And Bryce's head at this point is spinning. He's terrified for his own family. And even if they were safe, he was also terrified about the fact that he would have to tell them about what he'd been involved in all of these years. He was scared for his friend, Tyler, and he's also mourning the loss of Vicky and Wanda, two women he knew very well from going over to Tyler's house all throughout his childhood. I could not let anyone know that the golden child or the the poster boy, Bryce, was involved in these type of actions. That's why getting caught was not a choice. You didn't have, yeah, not at all. Then finally, as Bryce's adrenaline started to fade, reality started to kick in. I was thinking about his mother and his grandmother and, you know, what they meant to me and how such nice people and wonderful people they were. They were both sweet ladies, um, would do anything for the community and anything for any of us. And it wasn't anything I couldn't ask uh, Vicky for um, and that she wouldn't do. Bryce arrived at his family's house. It's 6 p.m. The TV is on. Six o'clock news comes on and my best friend is charged with capital murder for the death of his mother and his grandma. Headline news, every station, everywhere, anywhere that you can look at it, boom. So here we go, phone calls, crazy everything. So not only am I thinking about the shit we had done, now I'm thinking about the shit that people are about to find out that we had done. Also, his mom and grandma are killed. What in the hell? So now my parents are going crazy. I don't want to tell them what we've done. And at the time, I didn't. So to be clear, here's what's going on in Bryce's head. He still thinks that there are men who want revenge and who are out to hurt the families of their group of friends. And to top it all off, he's just seen his friend's face on the news. I hurry up and finish eating my dinner. I'm trying to get out of town as soon as I can. I'm sick to my stomach, head is hurting. I think I pulled over on the way back to school. I threw up a couple of times. I think it was about seven days before I actually calmed down and stop seeing his mom and grandma. I'm seeing them in my dreams. I'm seeing them every time I close my eyes. I could not believe that somebody so close to me was was dead. And not only were they dead, they were strangled. So now I'm really panicking because my conscience is eating me up. So after I get back to school and away from my parents, I have to call and tell them what we've done. 
Bryce picked up the phone to call his parents and tell them that their lives may be in danger. They may be next. And I never forget the phone call that I had with my dad. And he just couldn't believe it. And he was so disappointed and so distraught in me that I would take a part of, you know, something so senseless and stupid and risk my life. And and not only was it my life, now their life is in jeopardy. So my mom's not only scared, she's angry, she's disappointed. Now me and my parents' conversation has spread to other parents, not from them, but from their kids, obviously having the same conversation with them as I had with my parents. We didn't know who was next and and how they were gonna do it and how fast they were gonna do it or what was going on. I'm back at school, seven, eight days go by of just being sick to my stomach. I'll never forget how sick I was and uh, how bad it was. Every time Tyler was questioned by police, he denied being involved in the murders. He claimed that he wasn't home at the time the stranglings took place. And he doesn't know who the killer or killers would be. When asked if this was someone killing for revenge, he nodded his head and then said, quote, I would have been laying there too, insinuating that he was lucky to have escaped the scenario with his life. Meanwhile, Bryce, his family, and Bryce and Tyler's friends and their families, they are all reeling and afraid that they could be next. They still very much believed Wanda and Vicky's murders had been revenge slayings. Two weeks after his arrest, Tyler was indicted on one count of capital murder, which covers both deaths. He was sent to jail on $1 million bond. On the day he was arraigned, Tyler was visibly upset and talking to himself. He cried when the judge said he was being charged for killing his mother and grandmother. This is when I learned a little bit about what was going on. They were able to charge him with capital murder. The charge part of it meant that they had some type of evidence against him that was allowing them to hold him at a million dollar bond. I knew that he was in trouble. I knew that he was in a whole lot of trouble just by the capital murder. I had to understand what that meant. You never seen it coming from, you know, a guy from the good side of town. He was at a private high school at the time. Uh, and, you know, he was the same guy that you would say hi to and hug in your neighborhood grocery store uh, would be the same guy that would put a gun in, you know, your mouth uh, uh, right up the street and uh, look at you and tell you, you know, where it's at, what he wants, and exactly, you know, everything about it was already known. Now we know how they were done, and somebody did it with their bare hands. There were also bodies uh, propped up on pillows, um, where the heads was on pillows. Now that it's all said and done, there's not a doubt in my mind that Tyler was in there cleaning it up whenever the workers from work popped up at, you know, the grandma's house or whatnot. At arraignment, Tyler pleaded not guilty. The evidence against him? He was home at the time they were murdered. When he went to Jessica's after finding the bodies, he told her they were strangled, and the state argued there was no way he could have made that determination without firsthand knowledge. A PlayStation cord was entered into evidence as the murder weapon. On a mirror written lipstick were the words, Sorry we missed you which the state set out to prove to be a ruse that Tyler had written. 
And while Bryce said he didn't see any scratches on Tyler's hands, first responders said they had noted scratches, which seemed to resemble defensive wounds. It was also uncovered that Tyler had asked a friend to lie about where he was and give him an alibi for the previous evening. There were no signs of forced entry at Wanda's home, and Tyler was the only one who had the code to the keypad to gain entry to the home. Nothing was stolen from the home. Pieces of duct tape were found throughout the house, and a black cord was found under Vicky's body. And finally, some checks were found in a pair of his boots that appeared to have been stolen from Wanda's checkbook. Detectives also found a black cord and a pair of gloves in Tyler's truck. The black cord that was found in Tyler's vehicle was described as being similar to that cord found lying under Vicky's body. The prosecutor ultimately did not seek the death penalty. But when he announced that decision, he said that Tyler was a spoiled child who killed his relatives out of greed. Apparently, that was the motive. They were cutting him off from his money and they were sending him packing. And this was why he did it. At trial, Tyler was convicted by a jury of capital murder, and he was sentenced to life behind bars without the possibility of parole. To tell you the truth, it was after he got sentenced that I I remember sitting in the courtroom before the verdict was read and my leg was shaking really bad and my mom grabbed my leg and I was like, come on, T-Lope. They called, we called him T-Lope. And I was like, come on, T-Lope, come on, T-Lope, come on, T-Lope. Uh, come on, come on, come on, come on. And it was uh, guilty. Tyler appealed his conviction and lost. Lubbock County Criminal District Attorney Matt Powell said that he had prosecuted over 100 murders and said, when you have the ability to take the life of your mom and really to take the life of your grandmother, that's always going to stand out. In the manner in which that was done in this case, it was just pure evil. He continued, this is someone that had a personal vendetta about the people that were killed. And that person was absolutely Tyler Logan. Almost 10 years later, in 2015, Tyler's father agreed to help Tyler pay for an attorney to get his case looked at again. Tyler coordinated with people on his father's side of the family and high school friends to set up a Facebook and Twitter account to help get his story out there. Tyler conducted an interview with the reporter at the prison, and Tyler still claimed to be innocent and that someone else committed these murders. He is still not admitted fault for these murders. He continued, he said that if he had been home, he would be dead too. He's sticking to the story that it was a revenge killing. He also has inmate profiles on, quote, friends beyond the wall and, quote, write a prisoner because he was lonely and looking for a companionship per those profiles. And by now, Bryce and his family had accepted the fact that Tyler did this, but it wasn't easy. There was a lot of doubt, a lot of back and forth, and a lot of difficulty accepting the fact that someone that everyone thought that they knew so well could commit such a heinous act. I'm not angry. I'm not angry at him. I was disappointed. I was hurt. Um, I was hurt that the fact that he couldn't look me in my face and tell me that he had done it. People make mistakes. Not that type of mistakes, but it still didn't make me to where... I was scared. Um, I was more fearful for my mom, my dad. And to be honest, I was more ashamed that he had let, you know, our secrets out of the closet and our skeletons come to light. That was what I was more ashamed of is that 
all the golden children that ran around and that was known as the, you know, the the cool kids and kids want to be like. Now we have reversed that to don't go near these guys. I also want to look Tyler in his face and if he thinks he is a capital murder bad boy, you know, I want to look him in his face and he's still a young, you know, little brother to me that he always was. And I mean, he don't scare me. I want him to know that, you know, and I also want him to know how we can cowardly he he went out, you know, he could have he could have chose any other way besides that, you know, mom and grandma. So I want to look at him and tell him that to his face. And uh, if he can't tell me that he did it, then I mean, I'm going to definitely say some words and who I think he is, you know, and uh, that'll be that. Hopefully it goes a different route to where I can not financially or physically help him or anything like that. But maybe I can shed some light on his heart and uh, see, you know, hopefully God will forgive him before his time's up. So according to the KCBD News, quote, murder victim Vicki Logan was a familiar name in the 70s and 80s. She was known by Vicki Turner and then was recording music at the Don Caldwell Studios in Lubbock. She later moved to Nashville and released an album titled Lily White. Vicki cared for her mom, Wanda, because she had heart problems. She was loved by all and was described as the quintessential sweet grandma. They were loved and they are missed. Imagine being in college and getting a phone call. The police think one of your best friends from high school, a guy you thought of as a little brother, murdered his mother and grandmother. Where would your mind go? Would you immediately think this can't be true and go into help mode and race home to try to save your friend from being railroaded by the police? Or would you be defiant till the very end? Or as the evidence piled up against him, when would you finally accept it? When Bryce submitted his story to us, he sat down and thoughtfully wrote out his experience. And here's the ending of what he said. Quote, I believed that he didn't do it. And I walked away from friends who thought otherwise. But sitting here today, I know he did it. I recently reached out to him with the intentions of me giving him one last chance to come clean. I wanted him to know what he has done to more than just his mother and grandmother. The ripple effect has been deep. Friendships were lost people were affected and the girlfriend has only recently started to heal and this is Jessica who he's referring to I suffered mental and spiritual battles behind it I was also labeled as a best friend of a capital murderer everyone who saw me for the next 10 years only wanted to speak about Tyler and what he did I couldn't escape it so this proves our concept to a T these crimes obviously have this ripple effect that Many don't see when they just see the headlines. Right. And it's interesting because everybody also experiences their experience of being a first degree so completely differently. And Bryce's story was such a unique, a unique perspective. So I really uh, thank Bryce for being our first degree today. If you have a story you're listening out there and you would like to tell it, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Join our first degree Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time and lots of talk of candy corn recently. Everybody's talking about their favorite Halloween candies and least favorite. And uh, stick around because we're going to kill some time. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. 
but not, not that close. Not close. <laughs> Happy teddy bear day. Happy teddy bear in your hair day. Very creepy. Shout out to Jared Monaco for his sound design skills and for producing original music for The First Degree. Holla to our producing team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. Sources for today's episode include My Plain View, KCBD, Lubbock Online, ABC 13, Court Documents, and as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source. Okay, well, welcome to another episode of Killing Time. I have my other co-hosts sitting on Zoom. They look so cute together. They're just like cuddling up, just like two peas in a pod. Yeah. <laughs> peas. Thoughts? Yep. Roomies. No, no justice, no peas. Um, before we jumped into our Killing Time, I have a question for you both because you're almost done with your top secret project that you've been working on on the East Coast. You've been gone for how many weeks? Five. Eleven. Well, that's a lie. We've been gone for five. It feels like 17. Okay. You've been gone for five weeks. I just have like a quick question for you. What is, what do you miss most about being home and what do you miss least about being home? I'll go first. I miss my routine most, and I miss you, Jack, and I miss my friends the most. Um, what I don't miss, I don't miss Los Angeles itself. No. Trust every me, you're not missing outside. anything. I know. And every day I go outside, and like the air smells like – it smells like a meadow all of the time. There's so <laughs> many fluffy, leafy trees, and the wind blows, and it smells like fresh grass. And there's little creatures that run around my property. I feel like Snow White. Like they all come up and talk to me. <laughs> and I feel, I feel like I live in cleanliness for the first time in 10 years. It is weird when you're so used to living in the midst of Hollywood that you don't mm-hmm. realize that once you leave Hollywood, everything is not exactly like that. It's so nice. I love it here. But it's nice that you guys have been – you've gotten to experience an actual fall because it's still 90 degrees in L.A. right now. So I'm very jealous of the fact that you get this nice little changing of the seasons that yeah, we are missing. Yeah, we, we noticed the leaves were actually changing for the first time the past couple of days. Uh, and it's uh, it's glorious. I don't want to tell you about the day we had because you'll be really jealous. Tell me about it. We went and we looked at this giant architectural house that was for sale. It was – this house built in the 1800s. It looked like a medieval castle. So Ooh. we looked at it with a real estate agent. <laughs> yeah. And then we um we went to a, a local <laughs> winery and drank pumpkin beer looking at the oh. ocean. And it was like a cool 64 degrees. Yeah. Oh. And the, the guy was trying to figure it out, the, the realtor. And he, and <laughs> did you call? Do we, we should have told him. Oh, we set it up. It wasn't an open house. Like we wanted we to set see this house. This is a house that this is a house that that Alexis has seen in her uh, in her back, vision board, her backyard. No, in her backyard, and it was always the house that, that nobody was ever in it. It's from 1895. It was designed by Stanford White, the famous architect, and also a subject of true crime. 
And we want it looks like a mixture. It's it's an octagonal house. Uh it's got it's got a room that's like the stretching room from the haunted mansion. And oh. we want I, I wanted to say to him, like he's like, Well, what do you guys what, are, are you do you want to move in he here? Whatever like that. What our relationship was, yeah. Like, right. what the hell was and, going and we on. wanted we to say like, we didn't want to act, we wanted to act like we wanted it to get we didn't want it, we wanted to see it. And we didn't want him to be like, this is a waste of my time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Which it was. So we wanted it, we wanted to tell him that we're really interested in becoming ghosts. So mm. when we die, this would where we would want to haunt because it it is the ultimate haunted house. Oh my god. If gosh. we were to get if we were to get this house, it we would have the most epic Halloween parties ever. 16 bedrooms. Um, it had a fireplace in every room. It has like all these staircases, it was three floors. And in the middle, from the bottom floor, you look up and there's an octagon shape and it goes all the way up. So there's like oh. a railing on the floor. Yeah. And it has not been updated probably since the 1940s. I mean, the kitchen was- Original. Was, was wow. original. Yeah. It was- um, Crazy. We, we'll post pics, actually. Yeah, we'll post pics. How much was this for sale for? $1 million. Yeah, that's it. Oh, Oh my God! Like, we can afford this, Billy. Maybe we should go with yeah, this together. But the thing is, is the taxes were sixty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, what? But it's like overlooks the ocean. It's on mm-hmm. four acres of property. We were joking with the agent. I was like, we decided to look at this because we can't. Like in LA, you get like a one bedroom house for a million dollars. Me, you'll get like a thousand square foot house, maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh no, Jack. This place had like a formal dining room, maids' quarters. Like a wraparound porch on every floor. Then on the roof, it's got like a porch in the shape of an octagon just on the roof, chilling. It's the widow's walk up there. It's yeah. just cra- well, pictures. It's it's one of the most famous houses on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all these creepy urban legends attached to it. We oh want it, yeah. It, it would be great to do a makeover show on uh, to restore it to its glory, and then I was going to say you don't want to make it over. You want you want to restore. No, no, no. No, you're right. You're, yeah. Restore it, but then turn it into a haunted house. Has there been any true crime house shows? I know that there was like the murder flip house, but has there been like something like this where you're restoring an old spooky home? We were just talking about just that. talking about that. You know, there were probably the most famous house in true crime history is the Amityville Horror House mm-hmm. uh, because a, a true a mass murder happened there. A guy killed his whole family. That has there have been talks of moving of turning that into a bed and breakfast and actually moving the house to the center of town. There is a family that lives there now. I've knocked on their door before. The guy was not happy with me. Yeah, no, uh, I wonder what why. Do you, what do you expect? <laughs> you know, you got your house for probably three hundred grand cheaper, and uh, that was a house that originally was called High Hopes. That was the name of the house before the murders no, happened. Before. There was a famous picture of the crime scene and the picture of the sign that said "High Hopes" on it. Who names well, their house? Long Island get names. That's okay, the, that's the thing about Long Island houses, like the house I grew up in, was called By the Harbor. This house is called the 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 Winthrop Mansion. Weatherall, Weatherall Widow's Mansion. Yeah, yeah, the one we were talking Weatherall about. Weatherall Widow's Mansion. I thought you were talking about the house that we're actually in, the no, Airbnb that we're in. No. The this Airbnb is the that we're in like is the is Woodchuck the, House. Is the Trash Panda Express. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I didn't know that they named houses. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're near the, it's usually near the water. Where people are like, they're like gawking at your house and stuff. 
Interesting. I need to name my next house something. Um, yeah. Billy, what do you miss the most and the least about being home? Because it also, this is a very unique situation that you guys are traveling because nobody else is traveling. I would bite off my right arm to travel right now. So you have a nice little yeah. slice of heaven that nobody else is experiencing right now. What I miss the most about Los Angeles is uh, cheap liquor prices. The liquor here, a bottle of Bullet is $40, where you can get Bullet uh, for $24. So there's something going on with the liquor prices. But then again, the gas is $2. And you can't find alcohol anywhere. They don't have it at grocery stores. That's, they don't have it yeah. at CVS. Drug stores. Yeah. The, it, the liquor stores close store. at 730. Yeah. We're like, we're out of vodka. And it's like, shit, it's 740. We're fresh out of luck. Yeah, it's not good. It's not conducive to working. No. Mm, I have... Alexis, you've never been to Australia. Have you been to Australia, Billy? No. No. They have the weirdest alcohol prices where their their whiskeys, the way that they price them are backwards. So their most expensive whiskey is Jim Beam and their cheapest whiskey is like Johnny Walker or something. Weird. So you can you can get your like really fancy whiskey for very cheap. That's just a fun fact. That's strange. I know. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I can't wait for you two to be back because I'm fucking over the shit of being alone. I miss you so much. What do you miss most about you? <laughs> yeah, about, about, about us. Alec- about us, but, but but Alexis in particular. <laughs> she needs she needs it for her ego, like a little ego boost right now. Um, well, I still don't see anybody because I am still taking the pandemic seriously. So I uh miss some friendship from both of you because you're in my bubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, yep. We're also getting tested like every two days. Every two days. Yes. And oh, you doing, are? Yeah, we're doing the nasal thing. By mm. our, yeah. And we mail it in. Well, yeah. We get these. We have like a stack of mail-in tests um, that we drop at UPS and they come back in 24 hours, the results. So they just bought them and we just mm-hmm. do it every couple of days. Do you, and you're doing them yourself? You're sticking it up in your brain? Yep. Until Dude, there's it mild discomfort. It tickles. Yeah. And you just sneeze. The one that I had to do but by myself that it didn't go that far up your brain was the tickliest one I've done. That's what I did. I I, Billy was laughing at me because I was like, I, I can't do it because it just makes me like laugh. <laughs> it makes me so uncomfortable. And then I try to itch my nose from the inside. That's the nose picking you saw, Billy. That wasn't real nose picking. Oh, oh yeah. Do we want to talk about this? Because, I mean, you two bicker literally like your siblings. And Billy was talking about how Alexis, he finally saw her picking her nose. And this is a I big wasn't. moment. I was itching mm. my nose after I did this test. Mm. Okay. Don't make them. <laughs> don't make, don't, tell, don't ruin the myth. Don't make me tell them what I see you do. <laughs> Billy today was eating at a restaurant. <laughs> And he was taking Time peppers out. out of his wrap and he threw them on the ground. All right. First of all, Billy. We, were, we were outside, not even on it. We, we were and in that, the grass. It's like being at Malibu Cafe, Jack. And he no, was like we were taking in the grass. throwing it onto the ground <laughs> like some peasant was going to come so, pick up after him. Or an animal, which we've seen a lot it of. It was like a restaurant where they're turning over tables. So he's like, animals will get it. I'm like, at oh. night, maybe. Billy, come on. We saw so many animals around us. You know what? I will I will savage post, I, I will post a picture and you will see what actually was going on. You, it was completely how are you gonna, when I called you out. How are you gonna prove this with a picture? Is my question. I'm gonna prove this with a picture and also I'm gonna interview the Wade staff and they're gonna explain that it was completely fine. Yeah, that you're that you're discarding pick up. I'm sure they'll be on your side with this one. <laughs> discarding trash onto the ground. 
waiting for yeah, somebody like, else to pick it up. We'll come around was, with little dust pans behind him to pick up yeah, after him. Yeah, yeah. We were in the grass. We it was, were basically in a marsh. Okay. He was raised in a barn. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly am just surprised that you haven't killed each other yet. This is we're in a corner. We're now having the best time ever. Yeah. I know. Well, like sometimes you guys hate each other and sometimes recording gets a little <laughs> bit awkward. So like I was extremely scared that especially with living together that this would end up being a big issue and maybe the first degree would uh, end up debanding or misband what's it called when you break up? Dismantling? Dismantle? Getting disband, disband. Jared, Jared, Jared. <laughs> he's like, you stupid Why? idiot. Jared might be the Yoko Ono of of the first degree. Absolutely what if, not. What if that happens? Absolutely not. Jared would never break Jared us will, up. Jared wants his own. He's gonna he's gonna start requesting to do his own songs now. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, Jared just he needs to be a part of it. He's he's leaning in. You know. No, I would say we definitely turned a corner. Me and Billy now we're working on the branding portion of our friendship, and he's like, "How's the this branding?" For- well, we we have we, we have to for the oh. show, but but there's sort of a separate branding for the show, and and we're sort of like, "All right, well, we're we're going to create a website, we're going to do these things." <laughs> no, let me and, let me do this. Let okay, me please. All right, all right. Yes, all yes. morning he's all morning he's brainstorming, right? <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, what do you got? What do you got?" He's like, "All right, hear me out, Billy, Alexis." And I was like, and those are our names. He's like, clean, simple, <laughs> Billy, Alexis. I was like, wait. He's like, you know, like Kate Spade, <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jack Spade. or Jack Spade. I'm like, that's his name. Oh like, no, Alexis. I'm like, what are you saying? Those are our names. He's like, yes, clean and to the point. I'm like, that's. That's not. I, I built. Wait, I'm. I'm confused. Is the website? Is it called BillyAlexis.com? We're gonna have to. Great. Now we have to go buy that URL. Just so, so nobody squats on it now. <laughs> no, this is the best. He's brainstorming. He's got two post-its with his two favorite ideas. Oh no. <laughs> He's like, it's down to these two. One says. Lex and Billy, and one says Billy and Lex. Oh my I'm God. like, are you serious? And he was dead serious. Billy, how long did this take you to come up with? Do you know you know that you do have a branding expert as the third member of your podcast, right? And, and <laughs> yes, and I was ready to to you know Bill, Bill, <laughs> to Bill pa- Exus was also on the table to pass through and like really like suss out these ideas before we got tattoos. Yeah, <laughs> you guys, Billy and Lex. These are my two favorites. I'm like, that's what you've been doing all morning while I'm doing actual work. <laughs> Listen, I was doing a lot more. I was dealing with the trash pandas too. I mean, let's be honest. Everybody has their talents, and you just shouldn't try to do the things <laughs> that, that Jack's good at. I can right, do well, better. Well, well, Jack, all right, brand me and Alexis. All right. Uh, you, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yeah. Yep. You can pay me. All right. Well, I think we killed enough time. <laughs> Weren't we supposed to talk about Halloween? Where did this turn into? We can talk about it next week. It turned yeah. into the creepy house talk, which is really fucking funny. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to own this house with you guys because I'm definitely going in on yes. it. The four of us, you, us and you and Jared should go in on it. Yes. We could do, It'd ma- only be, we could um, do the main concerts. $15,000 each per year yeah. for taxes. <laughs> yep. That's fucking wild, dude. 
We'll send. We'll post pics of this house and the Zillow link of this house. You guys are gonna lose yeah. your minds. Maybe we'll do a crowdfunding thing, and you y'all can. Get we it can all us. buy it. Yeah. All righty. Well, I believe we've killed enough time. Let's call it. You do it, Billy. Fifteen oh nine. Beep beep.